I'm Adam Powney, a gay man serving as an army reservist. This Pride, BFBS is celebrating how far our armed forces have come from accepting to welcoming to championing their LGBTQ service personnel. This time, I chat with Mandy McBain, MBE. She left the Royal Navy in 2012 after 25 years of service, which included leading her colleagues at London Pride in 2008. Currently, she's in charge of the Royal Navy's response to the recommendations laid out in the government's Veterans Independent LGBT Review. So Mandy, thank you for, for joining us. I would love to know a bit about yourself and give a whistle-stop tour of your career so far. Okay, so my name's Mandy McBain. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I originally joined the Royal Navy, well, Women's Royal Naval Service as it was then, back in 1986. And I joined up as a junior eight with a bit of an ambition to become an officer, um, but I hadn't got the qualifications at the time. So that's where my um, interests or probably essential interests lay at that time. Um, and so I served in, in Faz Lane, um, down in Plymouth, um, and I was a, a writer. Um, and I eventually got my qualifications and then went to Dartmouth to, to start my officer training in 1989. And so I ended up serving for 25 years and I left the Royal Navy on voluntary redundancy back in um, 2012. Um, and then I spent those 10 years in between then and now working for Stonewall, the charity. And so I was a client account manager. But because of my background, I looked after the Army, the Navy, the Air Force and the MOD and other defence organisations. And then um, in 2022, I was um, asked to come back in um, to the Royal Navy on an additional duties contract. And so that's I joined last November and I'm in until October 24. So am I right in thinking that you joined the Royal Navy whilst the ban of LGBT personnel was still in place? Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I joined in 86 and the ban wasn't overturned to 2000. So that was a, a fair, fair amount of time serving under the ban. Yeah. And how was that for you? Um, initially, it was fine because I didn't realise I was gay. And then that horrible realisation that I was working for an organisation that would have dismissed me if they found out that um, I was gay. And so you were very aware that you couldn't speak to people about it. You got very good at talking in the third person um, and you were just very guarded. And, I'm, you know, looking back now, I think I probably didn't invest my time into my career as much as I should have done because I was always being guarded and worrying about what people were saying um, worrying about what they were thinking so um, I probably was a lot more reserved but that's what happens when you have to sort of think um, about your career and the fact that I didn't want to lose my career because I loved it yeah and we're over 20 years on since that band was being lifted what goes through your mind after having those lived experiences, that band lifts, what goes through your mind at that moment? Relief, slight relief, but I was still very aware of the homophobic language around me. So yes, the rules had changed, but actually changing an organisation, a culture takes a long time. So for me, I knew I couldn't be dismissed. I knew I wasn't going to lose my pension um, and my income and my friends but then also I had that difficulty of thinking of all those people I'd lied to over the years what were they going to say when I was about to tell them so it took me a long time to tell people so you know I didn't I certainly didn't come out 
immediately, but it just made me very relieved that the rules had changed, the ban had been lifted. You were saying it took a long time to get to grips with it all. Was there any support available at that moment? No, not at all. And, you know, the services, not just the Royal Navy, but all of the services didn't know how many gay people they had serving. And so I say gay because that's the term that I'm comfortable with. But, you know, they didn't know how many lesbians, how many bi's, how many trans people they had serving. And so they had no way of contacting them. And there were no networks at that point. I don't remember them being any networks, let alone an LGBTQ plus network. So there wasn't any support. And whilst you may have known of other people who were gay, it certainly wasn't one of those questions that you would ask, are you gay and let's have a chat? How do you feel about this? Certainly not. All these unknowns, were they reasons why you've kind of like steered your career in the military and outside to make those changes in policy and pe- making people comfortable? Yeah, I think so, because it's it's a very lonely place to be when you don't have any support. Um, and you know, it took me probably at least five years to feel comfortable. And then I remember going to the first LGBT conference that the Royal Navy held at the Amport House at the Chaplaincy Centre, bizarrely enough, um, over a weekend. And it was very cloak and dagger that you just didn't want to tell people you were going. And this is when the rules had changed. And it was at that point, one of the HR people came along. So the the commander that was involved with the E&D area, came along and he just said if you want to make change then you're going to have to do something and I can remember thinking okay that probably means me because we're working in a hierarchical organization and so you know if you're sat there as the only officer it's easier for me to push on those doors that are still very closed than it is for an able rate for instance things have changed um, and that certainly isn't isn't the case these days I don't think but for me it meant that I had to sit up and do something and actually you know, you wear a rank for a reason. And, it, you know, it was very slow steps to start with. And you've mentioned those networks, both in support and driving change. I would love to know a bit a bit more about them and what their purpose is in the Navy back when they were founded and what they're like now. Yeah. To be honest, we didn't really know what a network was because we worked in an organisation that didn't have any. So it's not as if we could go to other networks to understand what they did or do and what successes, what impact they'd had. And so, you know, we we knew we had to start um, trying to communicate with the the other LGBTQ plus people that we didn't know. And so it was then trying to advertise in any way so originally we set it up on Facebook so those people that we did know of we would say right okay let's all give our email addresses in but that would be a secret email list never shared with any anybody else but the people on the network because there were still some people that were not comfortable coming out and then it was slowly liaising with the uh, equality and diversity areas about what changes we'd need to put in place. And then we started to have conferences and they would be single service conferences, but then actually we needed the strength of the other services to to come together. And so it would be a tri-service conference and then the MOD as well. So it was trying to get that message out that there were people there to help you. When did you notice that shift? Because you were talking about secret email lists and people being quite guarded still. When did Mm. you notice that shift of comfortability and people actually starting to be proud of who they were and comfortable in their environment? I think that when the Navy first um, joined Stonewall Diversity Champions Programme in 2005, that was a visible change to those who were very much still in the closet about 
this organization means this seriously so they're joining up with someone to help them go through the changes and then i think with the sort of safety net of stonewall leading the way with the services it helped the services understand what they needed to do to actually be a competitive organization that would look attractive to people who wanted to join but also wanted to retain those that were serving with them um and and that started that liaison. So me being a, a chair at that point of the LGBT network, it allowed those in the policy positions to have a point of contact to come and talk to. Um, and back then, the the services didn't monitor personal data that included what your sexuality was. And so that was difficult for them because they didn't know. I'm not saying that the data is, is brilliant now, but at least they are asking those questions. And as chair, what was your biggest success, if you can think of one at this moment? What was your biggest success of having that responsibility of the network? I think it was seeing the network grow from four people sat around a chair, sat around a table, looking at each other, thinking, what do we do now? To then seeing it grow, um, seeing all three organize all three services and the MOD all joining Stonewall and working together but I think for me personally is when all three uniform organizations marched at Pride in 2008 and I I led the Navy but it was still is probably one of the proudest moments. That brings me nicely on to my next bit because I remember my first London Pride lying in the streets rainbow face paint on my cheeks flag on my t-shirt friends all around me everyone having a really good time and I remember that moment I looked up um, and all three services marched past. And as a young gay man who's always been interested in the military, I was shocked in, in a mm. good way. At, when you're in the parade and for that first time, what goes through your mind looking at us lot lying in the street, celebrating who we are and celebrating who you are as well? What goes through your mind in that moment? I think it was just incredible proudness that we'd got to where we were. But we were also aware that that we couldn't have done that without all of those that had gone before us, all of those that had fought for the changes that we were now benefiting from. So it was pride, absolute pride, but sadness. Yeah. And what was the response of that first march? Can you tell me any examples of how people responded to you in that moment? Oh, it was just incredible. I mean, everybody wanted to take photographs. The media wanted to have interviews with people. There was a slight sadness on my part because the inside the military were not particularly interested but I think there was a moment that the penny dropped you know nobody could have paid for that much media interest and that much press coverage on how the military looked very inclusive at that point that was a really big turning point and from there we went on to have LGBT champions or advocates and so it was getting somebody at the board level to say right, I will sit with the the LGBT network. And this happens now across all the networks. And in 2009, the second sea lord, so the head of HR as such, spoke at the Stonewall Conference and he was the keynote speaker. So, you know, really significant changes. And that's a conference with 800 delegates. And he was there as the keynote speaker talking about the changes. Amazing. And you look onto London Pride now, it's a staple to have the military taking part. Mm. How does it feel to look on? And they're a vital part of that parade in that moment. Absolutely. And, it, you know, going from when the Navy first took part in Pride, 
they literally, I think there were probably six or seven of them, and they went across London on the underground. That would never happen now. It's, you know, so that was six or seven people that just kind of walked and the other services were in their branded T-shirts to where they are now. With There's a waiting list for people wanting to be there with not just the LGBTQ plus network, but allies as well. And it's fantastic. So it's grown. And, and you know, whoever thought there would need to be a waiting list for people wanting to go. And that's a really good point about the allies, because we're talking about the community that we're in. But the allies are just as important for helping us push through change, feel comfortable. Mm. What's the importance of an ally to someone in the community, especially in the military? Oh, it's vitally important for uh, and being a visible ally. It's it's you know, we don't want people that just say I'm an ally, but then actually don't do something and don't step up when they need to. So it is really important for them to be visible and actually to be seen to be doing something because, you know, I I mentioned before, we work in a hierarchical organization. And so for someone who is quite junior to challenge someone who is quite senior, it is really hard. And I, I had to challenge someone when I was a lieutenant commander and had to challenge someone who was my senior. And it made me feel really uncomfortable. So, you know, you do need visible allies and you need them to step up and and do something about it. I'd love to talk about a bit of your time at Stonewall and how that's influenced what you do now. Can you tell me how your work with Stonewall helps the military and defence push through uh, change for the positive? I think that whilst I was the client account manager for all of the military and the MOD, it allowed me to understand what was happening in other businesses, other public sector organisations, and to be able to advise on, you know, this is what whatever organisation does as their best practice. Whilst I'm not saying you need to do it, consider it. And sometimes things would need to be done with slight tweaks and changes. But it is having that confidence that actually this is what other organisations are doing. So it's OK to do that. And also being outside of the military at that point it's having that don't be risk averse let's try this let's do this sort of having that conversation with them but also allowing them to tell you what they do um, and not being modest and I always used to say you're being too modest you know really shout about this and it was you know fantastic when all three organizations were in the top 100 of best employers in the UK. It's always a really good sign when that comes out every year and yeah. all three services are on there. And all three services, they work a, a lot together. Each service has their network. You've got Royal Navy Compass, the Army LGBT Plus network. Why is it so important that all three actually work together? Um, it stops an awful lot of duplication of effort. It also gives both the chairs and the advocates the confidence of knowing that the other services are doing it and they're not you know, branching off on their own. But a lot of people work in tri-service organizations now and tri-services units tri-service units so it is important that they do things together because if you're the only navy person on an RAF base you still want to have that um, freedom network to go to to say okay I'm, I'm here can I join in with what you're doing not be completely um, put to one side because you're not with the navy and those networks are made up of individuals why is it important for an, an individual serving person in the military to actually truly be who they are? Oh, because I, I remember not being probably the best person in that team, probably not the best for myself. I had the choice because females didn't go to sea when I first served and I could have volunteered for everything and I didn't. 
And I was really at the cusp of going from being a junior rate to being an officer. So I should have done that. I look back now and I think that is because I didn't want to be on a mess deck of so many people with everybody knowing what I was doing or if they didn't know what I was doing, they would assume they knew. And so for me, it made me steer clear of challenges, probably made me steer clear of good jobs. I don't know. It's a difficult one, but I certainly wasn't myself. And I know now, you know, as obviously I'm, I'm more mature equally, but I'm confident that nothing's going to happen to me whilst I work for an organisation where it's no longer illegal to be gay. And so it's having that and also having those allies around you. But I think that's for any organisation. You know, you have to feel comfortable at work. And if you're not, we spend an awful long time at work. And if you're not, then, you, you know, life is too short. So I'm just pleased that, you know, I'm able to do that. Yeah, I agree so much. Inclusivity, it's a word you hear batted around a lot. But I'd love for you to tell me, just on a personal level, what does it actually mean in the context of defence? Why is inclusivity actually so important? Well, people work, at, you know, a high pace. Their operational commitments of all three services change a lot. People are asked to do a lot with long working hours at certain times. And so they have to feel comfortable with their colleagues to be able to give themselves to whatever that operational requirement is. So I think it's really important that they feel included because none of us like to feel excluded, no matter what it is. It's a horrible feeling of feeling quite alone. Right. Big capital letters. Every time I write it, it's all always in capitals for some reason. I don't know why, but it is. <laughs> What does pride mean to you? I think it's changed over the years. Pride in the early stages where I couldn't be part of it was something I always wanted to do, but never felt comfortable because I didn't want to be hunted down or, or you know, seen at something that would indicate I may be gay. To then being part of it and being extremely proud. And I think over time, you know, your your wants to, to be at every single pride does just wane slightly. Um, but I think that's just one of those things. But for me, it's still a joyous occasion. And, you know, I've been to London Pride as a spectator with my wife and our little boy, and he was absolutely tiny then. But it was being able to want to do that and feel comfortable doing that. Having a family, if you don't mind me asking, having a family as part of the community, looking on at the military in those praise, for example, are emotions slightly different now you've got a family and you're watching that change happen? I think sort of. I mean, my wife has just left the Royal Air Force after 27 years. So we're very much, you know, in the military and aware of the military. I'm I'm not sure our little boy really understands what that means or, you know, he's five and he's got other things that are far more of a high priority than us. But it, it's it's nice not worrying and being guarded about what we say to each other and not worry about when we go to his school that we're together because it's you feel confident knowing that it's okay but you know I, I absolutely appreciate that is still not the case for everybody there's often a phrase that I use is there's still lots more to do what do you think is left to do to kind of progress this movement of pride I think there's a lot to do in in a lot of organizations I think all the networks will still be needed for a long time because I think people that, that suddenly find themselves, and I wouldn't say just new people to any organisation, but people that suddenly find themselves in an awkward position or a position they're not comfortable with need to have that network available to them for advice, allies network or the LGBTQ plus network. I think there's a lot for the military to do to continue to, to be seen as being inclusive. 
um, and you know, including our veterans in, in the way we move forward is vitally important because without a lot of them doing what they did, we wouldn't be as inclusive as we are now. Now, you've had a long career in the Royal Navy, Stonewall as well. You've witnessed a lot. You've experienced a lot. What has been the positive change? If you look back at all that time to where we are now, what's been the positive change that you've seen? Oh, obviously, the lifting of the ban was a positive change, but it took time for that change to really be felt by people. Um, For me, I think it's just myself growing in confidence that actually I, I am okay. I am valid. I, I, I can have a career and I should have a career and gaining even more confidence, you know, whilst working for Stonewall and then being able to use my experiences both at Stonewall and the military to come back and, and talk to not just the military, but other organizations about their inclusivity and perhaps ways of doing things better. So yeah, I can't say there's one stick out moment for me, but I think, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that I've witnessed has helped both me and organisations, hopefully. And finally, I'd love for you to just share some wisdom. I remember as a young gay guy, wasn't quite sure what I was. I wanted to join the military at one point, but I didn't feel it was the place for me incorrectly. But that's how it felt at the time. Someone joining now who's part of the community or isn't sure if they're thinking to join any of the services, what would your message be to them to reassure them that it's going to be okay? I would say look at the websites, look at the networks who've got good internet pages, the army who've got a brilliant one, and the others use Facebook as well. So, you know, have a look at those. And I think there may even be, you know, contact us parts on there. So whilst we are very, very aware of some of the history that has gone on and that hasn't been good and we're going to be more aware of it shortly i would say yes note but actually look at, at the military these days and you know try and get in contact with those networks so you can understand what the support is available but all of them have that on their websites and is there anything else you would like to add or throw into the mix that that might be helpful to this conversation you know, it's been amazing to witness the changes over my 25 years of being, you know, very much in the closet, terrified by the thought of being in the closet and then not knowing where to go to now being headhunted by the Royal Navy to come back in on an additional duties contract. The irony, which it wasn't wasted um, on me for being headhunted and I'd avoided it for so many years. Um, but no, it, it's it's fantastic to be part of a continued change and a very important one. Being headhunted says all itself. The fact that they needed you back for, for a purpose, that's, <laughs> that's really important. Mandy, yeah. thank you so much for joining us for this chat. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it and hearing oh, your good. history thank you. and the changes that have happened. So thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And I hope it's helpful. Mm-hmm.